Welcome into another edition of Designated for Assignment. Three times in a week, uh, it's been a busy time in Blue Jays land. Josh Goldberg here for another episode. And uh, what else is new with the Blue Jays? Uh, up and down, the, like uh, the Simpsons, Homer in the hospital bed, bed goes up, bed goes down. It's a roller coaster. Uh, every time you think that they're getting hot or going on a losing streak, the reverse happens. They lose three out of four to the Orioles. And in particularly listless fashion on Thursday to drop that fourth game to lose the series. And then they're heading to Boston, who have been playing decent baseball, uh, good baseball, I would say, coming into the series. And they're 0-7 against the Red Sox coming into the weekend. And lo and behold, here we are on Sunday evening. And they sweep them with a capper of a 13 to one beatdown in the finale. And uh, they're in really good shape all of a sudden uh, over the Red Sox. Now it looks like the Mariners are coming on strong. They swept the Angels four straight games. Bottom line, it's going to be a real dogfight uh, down the stretch for the Blue Jays to secure their postseason positioning. But they played a really clean, crisp style of baseball. There were some mistakes, you know, uh, Santiago Espinal's base running blunder on on Saturday was really bad. Uh, you know, un- uh, unfortunately for the Red Sox and very fortunately for the Blue Jays, Reese McGuire made one of the worst blunders you'll ever see to cap off that game and then got doubled off on a ball that he thought was a home run and, and ended up being caught by Kevin Kiermeyer. And then the offense was good. I think they had four, 14 plus hits in a game. I saw um on twitter uh james uh james james g i tweets out great stats blue jays related i think it was the first time in almost 20 years that they had had three straight games uh with at least 14 hits so the offense was good you know there were some issues in in um the first game with runners in scoring position but they hit five solo home runs and then on sunday they did a great job just in general hitting and the real catalyst was davis schneider who got called up ahead of uh, the series opener on Friday and they needed a spark. There was no question about it. And it's, it's an not a fair position to put a rookie in, you know, to come in and, and really infuse a clubhouse with some energy and obviously some on-field performance, but he looked every bit the part of a good major leaguer in his first three games. You you look at the numbers, they're insane. He's hitting almost 700. He's got a 733 on base and an OPS of almost 1900. He's the first player ever in the history of major league baseball to have at least nine hits and two home runs in his first three major league games. So any superlative you want to throw at his performance is deserved. And it's really nice to see some young talent be afforded an immediate opportunity because, you know, there have been times in the past where a player has been called up and then plays sporadically or not at all. And then gets sent back in. You look what happened with Spencer Horowitz back in mid June. He gets a couple of scrap at bats and that's pretty much it. And Schneider, I think, is going to be hard to take out of the lineup right now. He's not coming out of the lineup. John Schneider basically said that after the game on Sunday, they're going to find a way uh, to keep him in. And Kevin Kiermaier is banged up. We can get to that a little bit later. That will make things easier, but he's going to play at second base right now. And that means Whit Merrifield's going to play left field. And then that basically means 
that uh, one of Varsho or Kiermaier is likely to sit on a given day, which is fine. You know, if, if Varsho's not hitting, even though he, had, I thought, had a, his best performance in a series in a while against the Red Sox, there were a lot of good swings and, and a fair number of decent at-bats. Um, you know, it's not ideal to not have your best defensive configuration, but the Blue Jays right now are just in desperate need of more offensive firepower. And as long as Schneider is swinging it, you know, he's going to have to play and he is certainly swinging it. And, you know, I saw it, the, the, it making the rounds, the comp uh, on Twitter that, you know, there's a little bit of Dan Ugla in Davis Schneider. Schneider is five nine one ninety, so not a particularly tall guy. Dan Ugla was five eleven two ten, a real fire hydrant. If you don't remember, played for the Florida Marlins, Atlanta Braves, one of the most underrated middle infield power bats of the late two thousands. I think he had uh, five straight years with at least thirty home runs. He he made the All Star game. A couple of times, won a silver slugger. Very, very explosive swing. And there's some similarity in the way that those two swing. And, you know, if you go on to have a Dan Ugla-like career, you know, Dan Ugla was a good offensive player, great offensive player in some seasons. That would be awesome. They both played second base, which is another comparison. And yeah, the, the Schneider had a lot of good at-bats. There wasn't a lot of bad swings. Uh, he did damage against lefties, which in kind of a weird twist at AAA this year, he had reverse splits where his numbers were better against righties than they are against lefties. I still think that, you know, that's probably something that is more likely to normalize over time. But if he can be competitive against righties, that's going to make it even more difficult to take him out of the lineup. And it's just, it's great to see, like I said, to be afforded the opportunity and to do something with it. And instead of it just being a token promotion, like nobody should feel as though the the Blue Jays should, like they shouldn't be married to continually playing players as they have all season in certain spots because, you know, they're veterans and they're bound to figure it out and you stick with them. Like that, you're. I'm not saying to abandon a player altogether. You're not going to abandon Dalton Varsho. He brings too many other positives, even if he's not performing at the plate. But you're more inclined to sit him down when you have another quality offensive option available to you. And right now, that is what Davis Schneider is. And that brings the question: Should they be calling up Addison Barger if this happened once? Why wouldn't it happen a second time? And I see where you're coming from, and I think Barger probably is right around ready, if not already ready, to contribute something at the major league level. But the playing time situation would be difficult there. Like we'll see what happens with Bo Bichette when he comes back. Barger's played a little bit of shortstop, but I, I don't think you really want to put him there early on or at all in his major league career. I think you want to have him be as comfortable uh, as he possibly can be. So I would be surprised if we saw Barger anytime soon or or before September, or maybe not at all this season, maybe when the rosters expand, that's something that happens. But right now, you know, you like a lot of people saw the lineup on Sunday, Schneider batting third, BGO batting sixth, no Vladdy. And oh, was, oh, well, the Jays are just punting on this game. And I would never, you just can't presume anytime you, you try and 
think that you have an idea how something is going to go in major league baseball, you're going to be wrong. You're just, you're, you're very likely to be wrong. So they scored 13 runs and they had 16 hits and, you know, it wasn't what a lot of people expected, but Davis Schneider was the catalyst and it's a really great story. And, you know, there's all this stuff about his old glove that he pulled out of a closet or something. And, he plays a certain style. He's I, like a very um, engaging interview. I, I thought that the interviews he did, I guess on Friday and Sunday with Hazel on the field were were really good. He, he's well-spoken, uh, bright kid. I, I think the future is, is very bright. And you know, as much as we bag on the Blue Jays, deservedly so for an inability, a consistent inability to graduate a ton of major league talent. They haven't, it's more so on the pitching side in terms of the position playing side, you look up and down this lineup. Like I understand Vladdy hasn't had a great year. Um, Kirk hasn't had a great year, but him, those two and Bo Bichette, Santiago Espinal hasn't had a great year, but has, been solid in the past and and at his best can be a valuable player. They've done a decent job graduating minor leaguers to the major league level in terms of the position player side of things. And it looks early on like David Schneider is another name to add to that list. Now let's just say with the caveat that it's only three games and once more film is available, adjustments will be made. And then, you know, it's on Schneider to adjust to the adjustments. That's the age old adage when it comes to major league baseball and especially young hitters uh, figuring out how to make adjustments and attack pitchers in, in a different way. But his, his bat to ball skills are good. His uh, strike zone awareness is good his plate discipline i think is pretty solid he got his strikeouts down at triple a so far this season and you're talking about a guy who had nine hits and 13 at bats in his first uh three games he only struck out twice in those 13 at bats that doesn't scream somebody who is out of place so i would expect to see him in all the games against Cleveland, unless something, unless he has, you know, maybe a back-to-back offer, then maybe you give him a blow, but he's going to have to struggle for a couple of games before you're taking him out. It's just, he's just been too important to a a really positive stretch of offensive production. And and you're going to continue to ride with him. And I would say somewhat lost in the shuffle of the Schneider show, which is the deserved headliner of the weekend at at Fenway park, a couple of veterans, I I would say really stood out. And you look at uh, George Springer had, we know he he tied the franchise mark for futility in terms of at bats, consecutive at bats without a hit at 35. He got a hit, a bloop hit that sort of uh, broke that uh, runners in scoring position situation against Baltimore that drove in a run. And then he kind of cooled off again, but, then he had a stretch there in on Saturday and Sunday where he reached base seven straight trips to the plate with six hits and a walk. He had a four hit game on Saturday, drew a walk, and then he had a couple of hits on Sunday as well. And it, I, I always thought that if he was healthy, he was going to be leading off. That has obviously changed with Whit Merrifield playing the way that he has and Springer playing the way that he has with Bo Bichette being on the shelf. I think it, makes some sense for him to be batting in the cleanup spot, 
giving Vladdy a little bit more protection. We'll see what happens when Schneider is now in the full David Schneider and, and Vladdy's back. Like, is he going to bat fifth ahead of Chapman? Is he going to bat sixth? I think there's a lot of possible options uh, that you could look at. I, I don't think he's going to bat third again. I understand a lot of people are already saying, oh, well, he's better than Vladdy and this and that. And I get it. Recency bias and whatnot. It's a three-game sample size is still a three-game sample size, no matter how awe-inspiring, incredible, impressive, every adjective you want to throw at it, it is. But uh, I'll be curious to see what the lineup looks like. But Springer in the cleanup spot, if he's uh, continuing to swing the bat like he did over the last few days and and really since he broke that slump more or less, then that's a fine spot for him to be. And uh, the other guy is Brandon Belt, who... Outside of Bo Bichette, and I would have to look a little bit closer at it, Brandon Belt, after reaching base four times on Sunday, has an 824 OPS on the season, continues to be, he's arguably been their best hitter since the beginning of May. Like I I tweeted out the um, number since the beginning of May coming into Sunday's game. Uh, He had an OPS of almost 900. Uh, 17% walk rate, 50% better uh, offensive production than league average, hitting 275. His numbers have been really good. He's got the second highest OPS on the team after Sunday. Bo's at 846, Belt is at 824, Chapman's at 813. He's been really, really good. And, you know, he works a lot of these deep counts, sees a lot of pitches, allows his teammates to take notes. Uh, makes pitchers throw everything at him. Yeah, he can still be attacked with high velocity, but you know the strikeouts have been not quite as much of an issue as they were early in the season. There's probably still too much swing and miss uh, for my liking, but it's hard to quibble with what Brandon Belt has brought to the table. And he's going to be a really important piece down the stretch to really help this lineup out to be one of the most consistent offensive performers on the team. He's become an invaluable member uh, of this roster. And with Bobachet on the shelf, he's been batting second, especially against righties. And I would expect that uh, that's going to continue for however long Bo's on the shelf with the patellar tendonitis or inflammation. You know, it sounds like he's doing some work and, they're optimistic if he can continue feeling good after doing stuff that um, that he might not be that far away. But is it another two weeks? Is it another three weeks? Like I, I would be happy and, and OK if he's back in like by September 1st, end of August, September 1st, you have him for September you know, you've got a pretty cushy stretch of games right around then. Maybe he comes back, kind of sparks you a little bit and propels you to a good start to September. And then obviously we, we know what the situation is with the Rays and Yankees. Even though the Yankees aren't great, that's still not some gimme. So you want to bank as many wins as you can. And uh, to put together three against the Red Sox to really separate from them was a great job by the blue Jays. And you know, every time you think they're going to zig, they zag. Every time you think they're going to zag, they zig just been the story of the season. So far it is what it is trying to figure out what a given stretch of games will look like. 
is a fool's errand with this club. And it's just really highlighted to me how um, delicate baseball is, how unpredictable baseball is. There's just so many variables at play on a given day in a given inning, et cetera, et cetera, that can completely change the complexion of what you thought might have transpired. And this season, I think, has been a real... um, you know, microcosm of that feeling. And like the Jays are still, despite everything, and it doesn't feel that way. And we've said this so many times, they're still very much in a good position to make the playoffs. They're 63 and 50. They've got a plus 56 run differential. Obviously that was helped out by plus 12 on Sunday, but by all accounts, they're one of the better teams in the American League. They're a top five team in the American League. Texas, Houston, Baltimore, Tampa, I would say in some order is the top four. And then I think the Jays are probably the fifth best team. Uh, Seattle's hot right now. I still have some questions about their offense. Um, and they traded their closer. Maybe they can, like, they still have a lot of games against the A's. So that is certainly something that uh, I wouldn't feel great about if I'm the Blue Jays. And and if you're a fan, you know, that's a, an opportunity to really rack up a lot of wins that the Blue Jays don't have quite the luxury of in, in the same vein in terms of an interdivision opponent. But the Jays are by all accounts, one of the five best teams in the American league and probably one of the nine or 10 best teams in major league baseball. The national league stinks. There's really not any great teams beyond the Atlanta Braves. I don't think you could really look at anyone else in the NL, maybe the Dodgers, but they've got their issues. Every team to some extent has their issues. The Jays certainly do um, as well, but Despite everything that's happened, they're still in a fairly good position uh, moving forward. Did want to talk about Jordan Hicks, did want to talk about the bullpen, which, uh, again, did a fairly solid job. Eric Swanson kind of bent a little bit on Saturday, but thanks to Kiermaier, he ends up getting out of that and, and gets the save. Jordan Hicks looked really good on Friday, did a really good job. He's got that 103, 104 with a ton of sink. Hard to hit. Uh, the sweeper's really good. Hopefully, when Jordan Romano comes back, like maybe it's a situation where you play the matchups a little bit more. I would still be surprised. Jordan Romano's been one of the league leaders and saves. I don't think you're going to move him out of the ninth inning role in any way. I think it's more so Swanson and Hicks will de- be deployed in a way that, you know, if you feel as though Swanson's repertoire fits at a certain time of the game, whether it's the sixth or seventh inning, or maybe it's the eighth inning and vice versa with Hicks, then perhaps you go to a situation where, you know, you're really playing the matchup same way you have Mesa available to you with a lot of lefties. Like we saw this weekend against the Red Sox, you use him more liberally in certain spots where, you know, there's pockets of left-handers. And even with the three batter minimum, the Blue Jays are still in a really good position when everybody is healthy. You know, Trevor Richards is on the IL with a neck issue. Doesn't seem like that's going to be too, too serious or too long term. When the bullpen is fully healthy, they're going to have some decisions to make. I think, unfortunately, a guy like Jay Jackson is a candidate to get squeezed uh, a little bit because you just look right now at 
the state of affairs. And there are guys who just aren't going anywhere. Swanson's not going anywhere. Hicks isn't going anywhere. Garcia is not going anywhere. Mays is not going anywhere. Richards is not going anywhere. Romano's not going anywhere. So you're talking right there about seven guys. So then you're talking about one more spot. And Hennessy's Cabrera has been really good. Jay Jackson has been really good. Bowden Francis has been pretty good. He's not, and Chad Green's coming back. So he's probably soon to be the eighth guy. I, I really don't know what they do um, because Cabrera has been really solid outside of the one outing against the Orioles did a really good job, came through in a big spot uh, against the Red Sox on Saturday I like it's a tough spot to be in. You know, he has options. So I think that is or he has an option left. Jay Jackson has an option left. I think that that is more likely to be the situation where those guys just unfortunately the numbers game catches them uh, a little bit because, you know, anyone who says that they're going to DFA Jimmy Garcia, you're fooling yourself. There's zero chance that's happening. I understand that he's had some hiccups at times this year hasn't been as consistent as he was last year. He's still fairly solid and there's been some bad luck. His batting average on balls in play is the highest rate it's ever been in his career. And it's high, almost a hundred points higher than his career average. His strikeout rate is the best it's been in three years. He's blocking fewer batters than he has in five years. Yeah, there have been home run issues, but I think there's a lot in Jimmy Garcia's profile that indicates that he's run a fair bit of bad luck this year. And if he continues pitching the way that he has, the numbers, the ERA are going to stabilize. His fastball velocity is ticked back up to an average of 96. It was 95 last year. It's the, the second highest of his career, just 0.1 miles down from 2021. So he, he's not going anywhere. So we'll see what happens with Chad Green. It seems like uh, he is close. If he's not back by the end of this week, I honestly would probably be a little bit surprised. He had another good rehab appearance on Saturday, pitched an inning, didn't allow a hit, uh, struck out a batter. You know, you're going to have a lot of really solid options available to you. And Jordan Hicks could be a multi-inning guy. There's a lot to like about the depth of talent and the different kind of uh, pitchers that they have there. It's a lot of different types, you know, ground ball specialists, strikeout guys, guys who can get swing and miss without a ton of velocity, other guys who have a ton of velocity, you know, splitters, sliders, change-ups, curveballs. There's a lot coming at you. Uh, right now they don't walk a ton of guys their strikeout numbers are really good I believe their bullpen has the best strikeout minus walk rate in, in the league which is a really nice indicator of a good bullpen and a good pitching staff and that it's been great so far this year and and surprisingly so I thought it had the potential to be solid but being one of the probably five best bullpens and depending on what stat you look at even better than that in some regards, I'm surprised that that has happened. And I think that the current configuration, the way that they you know, supplemented at the deadline with Cabrera and Hicks and with green coming back, they're set up for the playoffs in a better way than I thought they were early in the season. And that's to be expected. Your bullpen is never a finished product in May, uh, you really can't judge it until you're rounding into August after the deadline and then into September. But 
even if a guy goes down with an injury, they have depth now. That's the real big situation. Like Romano's been hurt and you're never going to not miss somebody like that. But the acquisitions that they've made and some of the emergence of some of the internal guys has made it so that it's not a disastrous situation. You can navigate like we saw against the Diamondbacks out of the all-star break. They swept that series and relied on their bullpen a ton and they did the job this weekend against the Red Sox in the first couple of games. Bullpen did the job, really good job. And you can't say enough good things uh, about what they've done so far this season and especially since the deadline. Before we uh, go, I did want to talk about uh, a possibility that I think is probably not all that likely to happen and and the Davis Schneider uh, emergence, I think probably is a big factor in that, but uh, the Oakland athletics designated Ramon Laureano for assignment. You know, he's an intriguing player. He was really good in 2019. Um, you could talk about the juice ball and then he got suspended for PEDs in 2021 for 80 games. And he really hasn't been the same player since he struggled at the plate, but his numbers are still good against left-handed pitching. He is a solid hitter in his career against lefties. And if you're looking for a pure platoon option, he could fit. And they were, there was no secret that they were looking for that type of player. You know, by all accounts, there were some conversations with the Mets regarding Tommy Pham and Mark Canna, the Seattle Mariners with Teoscar Hernandez. Prices just weren't to their liking. Ramon Laureano, after getting DFA'd, isn't going to cost you a ton. He's not an amazing defensive outfielder. He's got a great arm and he can cover a decent amount of ground. And I think, you know, alongside you had a defensive outfield late in a ball game of Varsho and left, Kiermaier in center, Laureano and right. That would look pretty good depending on the circumstance um, where you are in the game. But I, I think he would make some sense. I think you're in a roster crunch now with David Schneider clearly looking like he belongs in the majors and and not really looking like he's going to go anywhere. I think that complicates matters. You could always figure out a way to clear up a roster spot if you wanted to for another outfielder. But I think if all things were equal, I would give Ramon Laureano a look because I think in a situational role where he's basically only playing against left-handed pitching, I think there's something valuable there. I think he could be a contributor. He can run the bases pretty well. He's stolen double-digit bases a couple of times in his career. He's been a decent base runner basically his entire career. Uh, He's pretty fast. And like I said, he's got one of the best arms from the outfield in Major League Baseball. So I would be surprised if it happened. But, you know, stranger things have happened. And I, I do think that there's a fit there if it were uh, to be able to be worked out in some way. Uh, I do think that Ramon Laureano would bring something to the table. As always, appreciate uh, the Twitter interaction. Always great stuff on Jay's Twitter. At DFA underscore pod is where you can find the podcast. At Jay Goldberg 12 is where you can find me. Thanks as always for uh, liking the podcast, downloading, subscribing, et cetera, et cetera. I appreciate it. It wouldn't be what it is without all of you listening. And uh, I really do sincerely appreciate that. As always, thanks for listening. And we will be back next week on Designated for Assignment.